Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm of course your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 148th episode, our returning guest is Ash Burgess. You first heard Ash Burgess on episodes 16, 26, 27, 39, 58, 63, 77, 86, 91, 100, 124, 130, 136, 142, 143, and episode 82, which also featured fellow regular guest Jonathan Fowler of the podcast. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies and an appetite for both high and low culture. She strives to celebrate the best of every season with her young children. Follow her on Instagram at Ash Burgess, all one word, and subscribe to her YouTube channel. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show, Ash Burgess. Thank you, Rob Burgess. We are here to talk about... You mean you knew it first in the book? Yes, it was a book that I attempted to read sometime this past year, and I honestly, I had forgotten about it up to the point that I saw that it was a show, and I kind of vaguely recalled that it was a book, and then... I couldn't remember if it was a book that I had read, just like kind of surged through and just forgotten because it was like not, you know, I do do that sometimes, especially with books that I get for my Kindle. I'll just read them like really quickly in just, you know, a couple evenings and then if they weren't particularly notable, I just will never think about them again and then I'll kind of forget that I read them and then, because I've done that before where I've actually gotten a book from the library and I was excited about it. And then I was like, oh shoot, I've already read this. And and that feeling comes on immediately. It's, you know, in the first page. And like, it, you feel like you're experiencing a little bit of deja vu. And then you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I wasn't sure at first when I saw that there was a show. If it was a book that I had read. And then I quickly re- realized that it was a book that I had started reading and abandoned. Because I didn't really like it. Even though I ended up really liking the show. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't tried to read this book. You did read a section. And how did you feel about the section? I, I did I did actually think, because I liked the show so much, I thought maybe I'll give this book another try. Because, you know, sometimes if you just push through a certain part of a book or something, you'll reach a point where... Either you get used to the narrative style and it no longer annoys you, or the book improves, or whatever. You know, I mean, surely, surely your audience has had this experience with books before, where if you try again and you just try a little harder, maybe you end up liking the book. So I actually got the book again after watching the show. Mm-hmm. I got excited. I was like, I'm giving this book another try, and I've abandoned it for a second time. But before abandoning it, I did read you a passage to try to explain to you why I was abandoning it, and what were your impressions of that passage? didn't make me want to know more about the book, I guess. I didn't... didn't seem like it might be for me. Now, to be fair, this passage was in, I believe, the first chapter of the book or something, so... I only made it through... I can be very precise here because I was reading this on the Kindle. I only made it through 17% of the book, so... <laughs> it could have it could have improved, and perhaps had I pushed on, I would have... You know, when I rounded the bend to 20% or something, maybe I would have started liking the book. But, um, what adjectives would you use to describe the writing style? I felt like it was, I, I don't know, I, I, this, I'll just, I'll, I don't know if I'm going to be able to just pick some adjectives. Let me just describe it. Um, this is an experience I've had with several books. I think this is a common experience that readers encounter. And it's not always a dooming experience. Because there are books that I have read and, you know, gotten through and even ended up enjoying that I felt suffered from this to some degree or another. But it's the feeling when you're reading something that the writer tried overly hard to be literary, but their talent wasn't up to the snu- up to, it's, 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 it's like It's like a misfire where... Because there are some writers who write in a fashion that is very literary, whatever, you know, whatever you want to feel like that means. I have an idea in my mind of what that means, and hopefully it's an idea that's shared by people. 
so we can understand what we're talking about here. I feel like there are some writers that are very intelligent and obviously probably, you know, put themselves into their work as a craft in a certain way that belies their intelligence and also a certain capacity, maybe, or a certain um, pretentiousness. But I'm of the mind that you can forgive a lot of pretentiousness if it's earned. Like, it, or, or perhaps I would say, it's not really, is it pretentious if the person really just is that smart? And like, yeah, they're like stringing together sentences that could be pretentious, but it doesn't chafe you in the same way because it really is smart and you really do feel dazzled and amazed. But then there's other writing that tries to do that and it falls short somehow and so you end up just feeling annoyed by the attempt at being kind of hi-hat literary when in fact maybe the writer should have just told the story in like a simpler fashion. Using a lot of ten dollar words. Yeah, and not just not just word choice, although that can be part of it. But I mean the way that the sentence flows, like as though you're telling a story and there there's a feeling sometimes that someone you can really easily imagine that someone wrote this for like their like university like writing workshop and you know, and they were like Ooh, you know, they're trying to be intellectual and trying to write really well, but not everyone can write in a way that's like superior writing. I think that I don't think you necessarily have to be a good writer to actually write a great book or to tell a great story. It can help, obviously, but I don't think it's necessary, and I think it's a mistake to maybe try to be something that you're not. Now, to be fair, it sounds like I'm really attacking this author here, and I'm not totally trying to come off that way, because I do think that people can grow into something. Like, I believe this was this author's first work that they've, you know, had published, and I definitely think that people can kind of grow into their style, and I'm not saying that this author hasn't grown into their style either further along in the book that I didn't read, or, you know, in their future, in their future writings. Really, we'll never know unless we just... Actually, read some of this author's work. But I guess my point is, I'm not saying this writer is terrible. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that I feel to me there was a little bit of a misfire. The way that the prose were flowing was agitating to me. It felt like they were being long-winded and trying to be artsy about the way that they were narrating. When I would have appreciated if they had just stuck to the point a little more, because their artsiness wasn't really feeling like good art to me. Is I guess to to make my point. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Um, so it was the author's first book. Did not finish it. Tried again. Could not. But to the second time. Yeah, so we've got two misfires. I'm probably not going to try a third time unless unless someone that I feel has a really good grip on, like, like I really truly respect their opinion, comes to me and says... I, too, was chafed by this at first, but then it improved and I ended up liking it. If someone was to come to me and say that, I would say, all right, I'm giving it a third try. But until that happens, I think it's pretty much over for me in this book. Will you read another book from this author? It's not very likely. Mm. But life is long, hopefully. And if I have the pleasure of living for many more years, (laughs) I wouldn't rule it out. You look forward to being, well, long-lived and bored enough to finally... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the hope is that I'll one day be an old woman with, like, a lot of free time. Because, I mean, right now I feel like I'm not the busiest person, but I do feel like my time is a little bit at a premium as far as, like, you know, reading for pleasure. We have two small children. Exactly. So I'm saying, like, there are people that are a lot busier than me, but at the same time I don't really have all the time in the world to read for pleasure. So I do feel... Any pleasure reading I'm doing is their pleasure. <laughs> yeah, so I do feel a little bit more licensed to just kind of abandon ship if a book isn't working out for me, because otherwise I'm wasting my precious time when I could be reading a book that I'd be enjoying more. So I guess the feeling that I have now, but I hope that I live into another part of my life where I'm, like, you know, an old woman who has time to, like, read for hours by, like, the windowsill or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so does that answer your question? About mm-hmm. will, will I read? Will I read another book by this author? I, can, I can't say conclusively. <laughs> it's not looking great right now, though. Yes. But anyway, this has been 
adapted for the small screen. The Stars Network. Yes, which I was not really familiar with adaptations of the name Stars. Of thing yet, have we? No, we didn't. I, mean, I feel like you almost said it, and then you started asking me a question, and we got lost. It's, but now uh, people are enticed. They want to know, yes, what are we talking about? We're talking about Sweet Bitter. Sweet Bitter, yes. Which, there are issues <laughs> with, with the name that we can get into later. But, okay, but, but anyway, we were saying that it's... Stars Network. Stars, which I'm not super familiar with. We honestly don't have cable. And even when we did have cable, I don't think that we had stars. Or maybe if we did have stars, I just never got around to watching it. I thought we had it at some point because we saw that Party Down show. Okay. Yes, there was one window of time where I think we had a package that came with a lot of channels. But I don't think I ever watched other things on there. Like, my impression of stars was always that... And this was an impression formed many years ago, and probably the landscape of what's happening on cable TV is different than it is now. My impression was always that their thing was that they had some, like, fairly popular movies that they would be showing, usually. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wanted to see, like, a popular new release, it could be airing tonight on Stars. And now I think that is not probably a big draw for anyone, because, I mean, don't most people want to just see what they want to see when they want to see it? Or I don't, Is anybody actually just... Hoping that yes. something they want to see will randomly come on. I mean, I think there is a thing about like choice overload, and I mean, if I was flipping through the channels as a kid and I saw the Die Hard for or Speed was on HBO, you would have been excited. I would have. I would. And I probably would still feel that way. And I know I can probably watch those movies anytime I want through streaming services or otherwise DVDs, whatever. But so you're saying that there there is a certain pleasure in not having something. to. Yeah, not having to. Well, actually, this comes back to something you were saying today about how happier people consider themselves to be lucky. Mm-hmm. There's a feeling of good luck. Like, I remember back when I had a TV that I would, like, flip through the channels, and then, you know, you discover that something you want to see is on. There's a feeling that you've experienced some good luck. Yes. There's also a... And there's also a feeling of anticipation that that also, as we know, being able to look forward to and anticipate something does increase people's happiness. There is anticipation if you know that like the movie you want to see is coming on tonight and you can like wait for it to come on and you're like yes it's coming at eight so yeah i guess i I agree with you there is something to be said for channels that show movies i'm just saying that i think the current media consumption landscape probably has shifted away from channels trying to entice people by being like these blockbusters will be showing maybe and more by I, i i guess what i was leading towards is that i think that it seems to me that more and more channels are relying on generating their own original content to draw people to their channel specifically. Because that's something that their channel can offer that no other channel has. Yes. Like, no other channel is offering this show. Only Stars. Rights. That's how, yes, Netflix. Yes. Game exactly. of Thrones on HBO. I, just, I think that's more the model that everyone has kind of leaned into. And the they only still show reason, movies, though, on HBO. Yeah, of course, of course. But I'm just saying, I think that the original content is a big part of it. Yes. Like, didn't you say the HBO planned for a dip in their subscribers after Game of Thrones ended? Because they knew that that was, like, a big draw for a lot of people and that then people would be kind of, Mm -hmm. you know. But anyway, the only reason that we were able to see this is that it was streaming on Amazon Prime for a limited window of time, I believe, because the new season has recently started airing Mm -hmm. on Stars. So they kind of were streaming it to, you know, entice people to add the Stars package onto their Prime subscription or something. I would consider doing that for a month just to, like, knock out the season. I mean, it would be easy to do. We knocked out the first season and was it two nights? Yeah, I think what we should do, though, is we should wait until they release all the episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we should run through it like we did with the first season. Yeah. Then we'll actually get everything. Because, like... The, the mistake is start signing up for the streaming service. And then you only get to see one episode and then... Well, you're still waiting for the next one to come out because yeah. you're still on the weekly schedule. Yeah, wait until all six of them. Or yeah. I don't know if this season is just going to be six as well because that was another thing that, which you said, how British of them. There were only six episodes. In the first season. Yes. Is there six seasons, six episodes in the second season? That's what I'm now? saying is that I don't know how many episodes are going to I don't know, because I don't know if it's the kind of thing where they only did six episodes because mm-hmm. 
they didn't know if they were just going to have to scrap this project and they didn't want to like invest too much, or if it was like how British of them they're just doing these tiny little seasons. I like you know you you said and we just watched the show Fleabag as well, so we've we've talked about this again recently. Um, but the seasons of British TV shows are generally six or seven, usually six, sometimes seven a season. A maximum, usually, of two, maybe three seasons. I usually see only two. Mm -hmm. And then you get your Christmas specials, if you're lucky. But other than that, that's it. Like, Spaced, The Office. And it's, it's difficult, because I think it's both joyous and heartbreaking. Joyous in the sense that you don't waste time with filler episodes... Just so that there's more and more and more episodes. All filler, no filler. Yeah, each episode is, you know, pretty well crafted. It's tight. It's good. It's like this episode is important to the show. It's not just like a throwaway. But it's heartbreaking when you love something and then there's so little of it and then it ends and it just never comes back. You know, if you love an American show, you might, you know, have the good luck of loving that show for like a decade. Like, some yeah, shows well, go some on. shows that It's always the shows that should be taken out. away to last for, like, 11 seasons. <laughs> yeah. But still, I'm saying, if you love one of those shows that goes for 11 seasons, that could be 11 good... That's a long time of your life. I don't know. That's diminishing returns, though. True. I mean, usually by the 11th season, things have gone terribly wrong, but... In the, in the long run, it will age better. The British example. It will, but I still, I'm still heartbroken. Because people over like back, though. Yes, I know, but people. It's a recent like, hurt that I'm feeling wrong. But it, but 20 20 years from now, people are still going to discover that show. And they're still going and to get their hearts broken at the end. But they'll still know that they got, you know, between seven and eight hours of quality programming. But they will still wish that there could just be maybe one more season. Yeah. Anticipation makes the heart grow fonder. It's not anticipation if it's probably never going to happen. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Anyway, back to this show, not Fleabag. But anyway, it's, you know, a truncated number of shows, but it's only part of this plot of the book. What, true. What and percentage I'm, of the book is the plot? I'm thinking not a lot because... 33%. I can't. I cannot give you a percentage like that. I will say. Same I mean, I didn't read the book, Rob, so I can't say. Yeah, but you read seventeen percent. Here's what I will tell you. What he, part of your seventeen percent was on the on the screen? Not. I mean, here's what I'll tell you. In the book, it's broken into seasons. Like I think the book starts in autumn, or no, it might it might start in summer and then it ends in like the spring or something. So the book obviously spans a whole year, whereas. I believe this season that we just watched was a single week. I believe, and I didn't figure that out at first when I was watching. So it wasn't it wasn't made incredibly clear that it was only spanning a week. Up until about the end, I kind of, I kind of figured that out. That, oh, it's only been a week. When I thought it had maybe been like a couple weeks or something. Mm-hmm. So they didn't like hammer it in. Like it wasn't like each episode was titled like, Tuesday or, you know, Wednesday or whatever. It just, you know, it, it, you figure out, oh, wait, it's just been a couple days while this is all happening. And I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, six is almost seven, right? So, I mean, it is almost well, like just a days in the week kind of thing, right? I mean, it, yeah. it does, episodes do span. So, yeah, some episodes, you know, she goes to sleep and then she wakes up and it's the next morning or whatever. So it's not, it's not like a exact each episode, but basically each episode is a day of the week. Like, basically, through that that season, I believe, is just basically a week. I'd say that's, like, my main criticism of the show, and I enjoy the show a lot, mm-hmm. but I think that, like you said, I you watched it, you watched the first season, mm-hmm. and you didn't feel like it was just a week. It felt like more than a week, because a lot happens, obviously, in this week. And they didn't really make it clear... At a certain point... They made it clear-ish. They made it clear-ish, but I guess I'm used to there being more time between episodes in most shows, so you kind of assume that maybe a day or two has gone by. But they do play with time a little bit, too, because at the beginning of that one episode, she's, like, walking home and, like, throwing up, and then they show you how she got there. Well, I believe they did that a couple times, didn't they, where the beginning of the show... I think that was, like, kind of their stylistic thing, where the beginning of the show... Mm -hmm. 
is a flash forward and the rest of the show is a flashback or however you want to say that. Yes. So you see something and then the rest of the show kind of shows you how the person got to that point, but then it continues on a little bit past that point that you already saw. Mm-hmm. So we should probably, I don't think we've even said what this story is about. We've not. I mean, I feel like. <laughs> we, we've, we've really backed into this here. Um, I'm letting you lead this show. This, I know. So, you know. I, yeah, I'm not setting it up enough for people. Yeah, I can describe what the show is about if that would help you. Just 30 seconds, because we don't want to give away too much. I would say two things about this show that I think give a pretty good entry to the type of story, and then we can discuss more details after this. The two things I'm going to say, thing number one, it's a very typical premise of young person, in this case it's young woman, leaves home to move to New York City as kind of, you know, a desire to jumpstart her life, be adventurous, do something different than stay in her, you know, smaller, less exciting hometown or whatever. Which, I mean, that's like a very typical story. I mean, how many different stories kind of start that way? Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty, that's like not very original. And then the second thing that I will say to give people an idea of what this show is about is that it's about her getting a job as a waitress at like a pretty nice kind of high class, I think, well-regarded restaurant in the city. Mm-hmm. And she is kind of aimless. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't even, I think she just kind of moves to the city and she doesn't, she kind of figures she'll get a job waiting you know, just because, like, she doesn't have another career path lined up. And she's not there, like, it's not like she actually wants to be a writer or she actually wants to be an artist or she actually wants to be an actress or anything. She's literally just kind of like, I'm going to move here and, like, get a job. Yeah. And then she gets very, very sucked into, kind of quickly sucked into, like, the world of, like, working in the restaurant. It's very unfamiliar to her. Like, you get... She doesn't really have any experience, so she doesn't really know anything about, like, what it's like to work at a restaurant. I think she had worked at, like, a small coffee shop previously or something, but nothing like an actual, like, you know, culinary restaurant experience. And she's very... I would say she's kind of enchanted by the lifestyle, both of, like, learning about food and learning about wine, and also... Of, like, the partying and, like, stuff that comes with, like, the people who work there. Mm-hmm. Like, she's very much, like, she seems very, like, she didn't know much about this before, and she's just kind of, like, taken by it. Like, she's very excited and interested. Yeah. And that's, you know, as you said, that's a storyline that could be very boring and not well done. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was engrossed in the story so I think that's a credit to it like people think you know it's easy to make an exciting situation fun to watch there's inherent things it's you know on its surface oh woman moves to city works at restaurant BFD you know like but I think that's what makes it interesting you're right yeah it's, it's mundane but it's it's engaging yeah like it's not a story about someone to whom something unusual is happening it's a story about someone to whom something somewhat typical is happening. Mm-hmm. And yet it's interesting in the way that it's told. And I also think perhaps I like the show more than the book because I think the details translate better to film in that I really like seeing, like, it's one thing, I've read some really good books about food, but I think you have to be a really good food writer to write about food in a way that's really nice. But it's easier maybe to show food or maybe not, I won't say easier. I will say it's a different set of skills to show food mm-hmm. and to show wine versus to describe it. Those are two different experiences. Hmm. And so that's interesting. I mean, I think if you're a fan of food and of wine, it's an interesting show for you. Whether you're kind of coming from the end of you don't know much about food and wine and it's exciting. Or you know a little bit about it, and then it's interesting to see this person that doesn't know anything about it sort of encountering it for the first time. Either way, I think it's, it's an interesting, that's an interesting kind of experience in the show. 
But the the naivete of the protagonist allows you to join her in the naivete in a non-threatening way. Yes, yes, I think that's Because the protagonist is... It has to be okay for them in the end, right? I mean, otherwise, why are we watching we this? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we hope it'll it'll turn out good for this person. Mm-hmm. So we're rooting for them in a certain way. And in that way, we can enter this world that we're, like, unfamiliar with but curious about. Yeah, and I would say... I would say a mix... I would say we're a mix of unfamiliar and familiar. I mean, neither of us have ever worked in, like, a restaurant. We've worked in, like... I've worked in a coffee shop. I mean, much like the protagonist, I've worked in a coffee shop. I've not worked in a restaurant. I would say that I feel like I know more about food and wine than she does. Mm-hmm. I will have you know I worked at a pizza place in Mitchell, Indiana when I was 15 for an entire month. I don't think so. that's the same as working at like an actual like a food restaurant. <laughs> like I would say that I... Wasn't food. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would say like... I don't know a lot about wine, but I think, you know, just between having lived in wine country and, you know, trying to, like, educate myself a little bit, I feel like I know a little bit more than her about wine, and I feel like, as a person who, like, she doesn't even, like, she doesn't, like, personally cook or know or care about food, you know what I mean, until she gets into this experience, and I'm a person that, like, enjoys cooking as a hobby and also has at least experienced food through both you know, eating a variety of foods and also reading about, you know, like I've read a lot of food writing by writers who do a really good job of writing about food. So I would say I do think I come into it knowing a little bit more than her about that aspect of the situation. Yes. And, you know, it is kind of a terrifying world, the industrial kitchen. Well, I don't I don't think the industrial kitchen is so terrifying. To me, like being a waitress would be terrifying. But that's because I don't that would enjoy be the working with people. Part of the job to me. Really? Cuz I think yes. I would be fine with the rest of it. It's just the fact that I have to like encounter watching washing dishes and slicing your hand and I've washed dishes and sliced my hand. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's really like that's I would like, much rather deal with people than deal with that. I don't know. I mean, Washing would, dishes is the kind of thing... I would thing, like to work the front of the house. If I have to work at a restaurant, I think I would, you usually have to start in the back and work your way up. No, everyone has to start as a dishwasher, I understand. Honestly, like, though, washing dishes to me is the kind of thing that I always thought I would hate before doing it. But, like, there's a certain satisfaction in cleaning things. And I always, like, enjoy... Like, do it, like, with, like, an industrial dishwasher type of situation and, like... Okay, thing. yes. An industrial Hobart... You still have to wash them before you put them in or you're not doing it right. Okay, well, then I don't like it. <laughs> okay, but... I mean, you can wear gloves. I just... I say that's the kind of thing that I would think would gross me out, but I've found in my experiences that I'm actually fine with that because for two reasons, and this brings me back to why I would be a terrible waitress. Reason number one, which is not about being a terrible waitress, just about me in general... I actually really like cleaning things. I like when things become clean. And so there's a certain satisfaction in contributing to that. Reason number two, if you're actually dishwashing and you have like a lot of dishes coming in, you can just totally focus on that. And that allows you to not have to then be also focusing on customers because you're really just like doing dishes. And this is why I would be a terrible waitress because I would prefer to be in the back washing dishes than be, like, chatting with, like, a customer. Also, I am terrible at multitasking. Like, I am great at focusing on one job. I hate trying to, like, divide myself between different jobs. And that's the thing about, like, waiting. Like, we're talking about, like, you're not just taking people's orders. There's all the side work that you have to do. And I think I would be fine at, like, doing all the work, but, like, I hate having to, like, split my attention. Like, I much prefer to be able to focus on something. Mm. And this is why I would be a terrible waitress. Okay. But our protagonist is a not even an employee. She is... Well, she's just training. Like, she's going to train, and then if she passes the training, she can 
become an employee. And so the week that we're following her is her week of training leading up to the evaluation whether or not she gets to like continue being a waitress there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, she's not great at her job. No. And I think she could do better. Like, and I say that as someone that like admits that I personally have so like I just admitted that I'm not great at like multitasking and better at focusing. I feel like she just doesn't even understand the nature of like certain things needing to be accomplished within a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. And that's very agitating to me because I have been in a position of trying to train workers where it's like they just literally don't understand that certain things need to get done within a certain time frame. It's always funny when you're, like, identifying with the side characters more than the protagonist sometimes. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely those moments there. I mean, she's definitely a flare of, like, a very very flawed um, character. Although I think she's redeeming in the sense that she means well. And she is very cute. And that takes people far, I think. Like, she's, like, very cute. Like, she has, like, a very cute look, and she has, like, very cute bangs. Mm Mm-hmm. And she has, like, you know, a developing romance. It's like, you kind of want to see where this is going to go. Again, that, like, less than a week, and kabam. Like, are you, like... Well, I mean, first of all... And this goes back to what we were saying about her not being a very good worker. She pretty much immediately hooks up with the guy who's, like, training her at the restaurant. Yes. And she... Here's what it is. It's not even so much that she's not a good worker. She does... She's not very good at thinking ahead mm-hmm. about what the consequences of what she's going to do are going to be. Like, see, because I would never hook up with somebody who's training me in a job because... I would be thinking if this like doesn't work out or gets weird, this is going to like compromise my job. Yes. I am interested though, from a writer's perspective of how they're able to make characters who push your buttons like that. Yes, well, to be fair, a good story is about someone who follows the rule of improv where they say yes rather than no. And that's probably why, like, a lot of my life is pretty mundane compared to, like, a novel. Because you say no more than that? I say no constantly. But, like, I'm saying, like, I think a good a good story is where, you know, the characters present it with Those an option. Animals and, and children. Say, yes. <laughs> yes, I constantly am saying no to toddlers and also dogs and sometimes cats. <laughs> but, but like, I, I, I acknowledge that, you know, it's, good, it's better in a story. Like, in, if you're inside of a novel and you have the opportunity to, like, hook up with someone. It's going to be much more interesting if you say yes to that than if you say no. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she hooks up with her supervisor, but that's not even the guy that she's interested in. Right, exactly. She just kind of... This is is just a side thing. Well, I think she just kind of hooks up with him just because he, like, comes on to her, and she's just kind of like, whatever. Um, But she's really into the, like sort of more mysterious, obviously very troubled bartender at her workplace who has a sort of unclearly defined, possibly kind of sick relationship with a the head waitress. Like, it's unclear if their relationship is like brother-sister or if it, there's like a sexual component like, they're not, to be clear, they're not a brother and sister. They're, like, neighbors, but then maybe he was adopted by her family or something after his parents died. I thought, before you told me otherwise, that he was her brother. Well, okay, when we first are presented with the characters, he shows up at work late, and she said, and she and the, the character that he may have this whatever relationship with has, like, saved him a plate. She refers to him as, like, my love. But, I mean... So you kind of, I think, I think that you're meant in that moment to think that they are, like, dating. Mm. And then later, our protagonist walks into the locker room and 
the they're having an argument while also getting dressed. So the presumption is that maybe I don't know, maybe they just like banged on like the ratty couch in like the locker room and now they're like fighting and getting dressed. Or at least that they're intimate partners who like dress in front of each other. Like she it, it, it looks as though she's walked in on them like after something's occurred. And so the presumption that both you and she make is that they are a couple of some sort. Mm-hmm. But then when she asks them about it, because she like she like makes a reference to it, like as though it's like obvious, and then they're like correcting her. They're like, oh no, we're not together. We just grew up together. We were neighbors. And then it later comes out that after his parents died, he moved in with her family, and she's older than him. And so she kind of says that she raised him. But there's still a very weird dynamic between them that kind of seems like maybe there's been some kind of a sexual component to their relationship. Whether that's been, you know, just subtext or if something has happened between them in the past is unclear. Hmm. Yeah. It's very nebulous. And it's very disturbing because... I mean, we said that this is the guy she's interested in, but she's also sort of strangely drawn to the woman of this, I'll call them a couple, they're not really a couple, whatever they are. Who was it that told her that she should not consider that one woman a friend? The guy that she was, the guy who was training her, who she also then, you know. Now granted, he has his reasons for saying that, I'm sure. Although, what are his reasons? I don't think he would be trying to hurt her by that. No, but maybe steer her away from her and in a way the other guy. Maybe, but I also think that that woman is dangerous, so I think he was giving her good advice. No, I think he might be onto something, but. I mean, because to be clear. This woman we're talking about is very pretentious. She is charming to a certain extent if you are drawn to pretentiousness, which I think a lot of people are. I mean, don't don't you agree that a lot of people feel like if somebody sort of presents themselves as, like somebody knows a lot but also presents themselves as someone who's knowledgeable, not just about things, because like this woman, to be fair, is knowledgeable about like wine and stuff and that's cool, but she also just sort of presents herself as like she knows about art and she has such good taste in clothes and music and everything is so curated and whatever, and I think a lot of people are very taken in by that. I don't... I don't get. I hate. I know, but that's one of my favorite things about you is that you're like the least pretentious person ever. But I don't. I don't. I'm not anti-intellectual. I'm not somebody that doesn't appreciate when people know things. I like. You know. It, it's not. If you actually have it, you don't have to show it. Exactly. Like exactly. If you, you let me. You let me know that you like. You like know. putting on airs. In The Godfather, does Michael Corleone ever yell? Hardly ever. But he has real power. The boss doesn't have to yell. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. But that's what I'm saying. Like, no, it's not about being anti-intellectual. Like, I like if you deeply don't have to... appreciate intellect. Yes. I just, I'm an, I am off-put by people that just try. And this is this is what kind of bring back to what we were saying before about how there are certain things that if they're done right are amazing, but if they're done wrong, they just kind of chafe you. And that's with people as well as with writing. A real intellectual writer can write really intellectual sentences, and I will appreciate them, versus a pretentious writer, or in this case, a pretentious person, who just chafes me a little bit with their pretentiousness. Like, show me what you know. I I don't want to hear about what you know. Yeah, and don't make it into, like, a whole thing. I don't want your soliloquy on why, yeah, exactly. And that brings me to another thing I wanted to talk about, like, because with, we were talking about the name of the show is um, Sweet Bitter. And that seems to be drawn from the scene that I felt was annoying and unnecessary, where she's having a drink after work with the woman we've just been discussing, the pretentious woman that maybe nebulously involved with the guy she's into um they're having a drink and the woman is trying to educate her about wine and she's talking about her palate and she's like talking about like bitter salty sour sweet and it's like 
And that was supposed to be, I think, a pivotal scene, kind of, in a way. Because, I mean, that scene lasted for, what, like, five minutes? And then later, she's, like, walking home and she's repeating to herself, like, salty, bitter, sweet, sour, whatever. And I thought that that was ridiculous. Because it's, like, every... I mean, don't you learn in elementary school that your tongue tastes, like, bitter, salty, (laughs) sour, and sweet? That's not a real education of the palate. It would have been different if, in passing, the woman had been, like... You know, taste this wine, what do you taste? Yeah, like, you'll taste certain flavors in the front, certain in the back, blah, 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 whatever. You know, that's, like, actual, you know, tasting of wine. But just the way that that was done, didn't that feel kind of ridiculous to you? Yes. Also, I think this show has a thing about salt. Mm-hmm. Because there was the um, the scene, of course, where what's his name pulls well, her. Well, where the guy that she is interested in, that yes. maybe you know, involved with this woman who gives her the bitter, salty, sour, sweet, whatever talk. That guy, when he gives her the oysters, mm-hmm. it's all salt. She says salt. Although I felt, though, in a way that when she said salt, that was just a cop out because she was on the spot and she had to answer, and. Um, well, because she had that flash, like when she, she yeah. had the oyster, and I guess she'd never had one before. And then she had that flash where she was like the ocean and having sex with him, and like she imagined herself like breaking her nails down his back, and like, and then she just kind of like, he's like, what do you taste? I mean, that's she was, what like, I salt. see every time I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like she didn't, I mean, she couldn't like. She couldn't actually say, I imagined having sex with you and the ocean and, like, flying in an airplane. So I think she just kind of saw it was, like, the easiest way to, like, say an answer. So I felt like that was more of an answer of panic. But you're right. Salt life. Exactly. But you're right that there was a little bit of a obsession with salt because then there was that whole thing about the salt shakers. Yes. Yes. See? I felt like they really hammered that point home. Yeah, like, she's supposed to fill the salt shakers and wipe them down, and she doesn't, and going back to her not being good at her side work, and, like... <laughs> all these flavors, and you choose to be salty. Yeah, like, is, is she supposed to be salt of, like, all the flavors? Salt of the earth? I don't know, there's a lot of implications. Yeah, I mean, this is she's maybe... She's from Ohio. Evil. I mean... Maybe it's supposed to mean something? I don't know. Symbolic. Probably. Maybe not. Maybe accidentally. But, um... Well, and then later, I mean... When she does a tequila shot with, again, mm-hmm. with the guy she's into, then when she has the lime, she's, like, sour. Which is, like, the stupidest observation you could possibly make about a lime. But, you know, maybe he is supposed to be sour and she is supposed to be salt in this universe. But they didn't have limes back in Ohio. Apparently not. Because she'd never realized that limes are sour before. Didn't or she'd never tried west. to name the taste of the lime. She'd had the lime before but never thought to name the taste. So it occurred to her for the first time that limes are in fact sour. We're making this show sound like we hate it. But we, I actually enjoyed watching this. No, I had a fun time watching it. Yeah. Just, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> it invites picking apart. Yes, and I enjoy picking things apart. So, I mean, let's continue. I'm just, I'm just saying, for the record, I didn't hate this show. I didn't think there no, was a lot I, of it. I enjoyed this show. That's the only reason I wanted to talk about it, because I liked yeah. it. Yeah. Um... What did you think of her her friend at the restaurant, um, her, her Russian friend? What's his name? Sasha. What is her name, by the way? Do we ever Well, actually, out? yes, we do figure it out. Okay, that was another thing that I didn't realize at first for a couple episodes, and then I think we talked about this towards the end when I was like, what is her name even? And I felt like, because it's, like, it, it's happened to me before where I'm watching a show and somehow I've just not caught the name of a character and it's like... Well, I didn't know if it was like Fight Club where it's just like Jack and the narrator or whatever. Well, I think that, and I there's an explanation for this embedded in the story and I'll explain this. Okay. They don't say her name until the very final episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Tess. Mm. They don't say that until the final episode. Each of the characters that she interacts with, either they don't say her name or they name her themselves. Because, like, her, like, the guy we were talking about a second ago, Sasha, her Russian friend, calls her baby monster. Um, and that pretentious, you know, her pretentious head waitress friend, whatever, calls her, like, little one or something like that. And every everybody that references her just kind of calls her something. I think there's another bartender that calls her Skipper or Skip or something, like Barbie's little sister. 
Um, so they never say her name, and she never makes it clear in the narration until the very end when she gets her, when she actually, I mean, the spoiler alert. Hasn't this whole thing been a spoiler alert? I suppose so. Spoiler alert! She gets hired at the restaurant, so she gets her, you know, her stripe. She gets her, like, striped shirt that she can, you know, do the waitress again. I mean, the story has to continue. Yes, yeah, we know that there's a second season, but... um, When she is presented with that, the person giving it to her does say her name for the first time ever instead of calling her. And they've previously always called her something... And I believe that's meant to be meaningful, not just in that everybody has given her kind of their own name. I think it's, you know, a reference to the fact that she doesn't really, like you said, she doesn't really know what who she is or what she's doing. Like, she's kind of aimless. And also a reference to the fact that when she first starts at the restaurant, pretentious woman gives her a lecture about how if she works hard and manages to get this job, she's could actually, like, become someone, but right now she just doesn't know if she's going to do it or something. Mm-hmm. So I think the point, the idea is that somehow she's actually give, been given an opportunity to become someone by, like, getting to waitress at the restaurant, which I think is a little bit of an oversell of, like, the... Like, I do think that doing something like, you know, in be in, like, an intense service job, I do think it can be very intense and it can lead to a lot of, like, experiences and stuff... But I think it's a little bit, to go back to the word pretentious again, to be like, this job will make you into someone. You know, this is your chance or something. But I think that was kind of the point of, like, they don't use her name until she gets the shirt and is higher. And then it's like, now suddenly we're calling you Tess before you were just, like, baby monster. You know? But, um, I don't know. Maybe it could make it into someone. It's a high-end restaurant, right? Yes, but as far as we've seen, I mean, here's what we've seen happens to people who work here long term. I think the idea is that hopefully you have something else you're trying to do and eventually you leave to actually do the other thing. Like, you're trying to be an artist or you're trying to, like, be an actress or you're trying to, you know, you're going to school and one day you're going to graduate and then get a job. The people that are actually doing this just as their career, it seems like a sad end. I mean... We're presented with, there is a woman who's like an alumni of the restaurant who comes back, and she's in what appears to be possibly an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. and she's unhappy and wants to leave, and also she has an eating disorder. But so she used to work at the restaurant, and the guy she married was a regular? Yes, but that's kind of like the best you can hope for. If this is all you're doing is working at the restaurant, the best you could hope for is that you like marry someone and they take you away from the restaurant. Now she's like a rich like New York housewife or something. And like obviously it's not going well for her. So there's that. And we see someone else who hooks up with someone in upper management and then gets like transferred away and has like a breakdown and like breaks some glasses. So we're not given like a great picture of this making you into someone in the future. It's more like this is just a moment in time. I'm interested in the second season. Oh, so am I. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. Mostly to try to figure out, like, what is the deal with the weird man and woman that she's, like, drawn to. And why do you think... Let me ask you some questions. Why do you think she's so drawn to either of them? Because they're both trying to attract her, and she doesn't put up much of a fight to anyone that, like, tries to bring her away. Well, but, okay, I understand why she's drawn to the guy, because, I mean, in certain lights, he's, like, fairly hot. And he's, like, he seems... You said he's a good light, bad light? <laughs> yes, I did say that. He's definitely good light, bad light. I don't know what... It... You know what I mean, though. Some people, like... Some people are hot, like, all the, the time. Seinfeld yes, episode, I think we all have. But, yeah, he's a good light, bad light. But beyond just how he looks... He seems dangerous and interesting, and, like, she seems like she's, like, hoping to be, like, shaken up a little bit. So, like, I can see why she's drawn to him. But, like... She's also like, I'm gonna fix him. I don't know if she wants to fix him. I think she just thinks it'll be fun. She may end up fixing him whether she wants to or not. She's not gonna be able to fix him. <laughs> Do you think I think he... she's just excited because he, like, <laughs> seems, like, so edgy to her. Like, like when he, like... Pushes her up against the side of the like the outdoors and like I don't know, kind of like she was just gonna like fuck her in the street there. I like. think he needs she needs to stay away from that whole brother sister neighbor. Best but my question combo. is, why is she so drawn to that woman? Other than the fact that she's so pretentious and some people like we said are taken in by that, 
why is she like so interested in her? And clearly that woman is like deeply troubled. Well, I mean, you and I have met people that are full of it and other people apparently have not. And once you meet people that are full of it, you don't I suppose need to meet too many more people like that to figure out what the deal is. I suppose you're it's the right. The first time like, you meet yes. somebody at the age of like what twenty two. Yeah, I mean to be fair, you know, at twenty two we hadn't met as many people. Probably taken in by a lot of yeah. bluster and you know. Like, yeah, I am not impressed with her line or food knowledge like at all. Like it's like you read one maybe. I also thought it was hilarious that that like wine book that she's like I'll lend you this wine book was totally like the same wine book that we have. It's just like the most like randomly typical wine book that like exists. Yes, she's just restated knowledge that she's acquired from. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like a handful of books, and that's yes. like supposed to be impressive about wine. But I'm just saying, like, also, why is we can call her Tess? I guess, although I don't really feel like that's a great name for her, but whatever. Um, why is our our protagonist not more concerned about the dynamic between these two people that she's being drawn to? Because to be thinking... to, to be clear, I don't think there's any question of her being able to be with both of them. It's very much like is she bi? No, I don't necessarily think that she wants to like hook up with the female character. <laughs> she might just do it through <laughs> the course of events. I don't think that she's attracted to her in that sense. I think she's just attracted to her, like, she wants her to be, like, a combination of her best friend and, like, her mom or, like, her older sister or something. Like, she's very impressed by her, and she wants her to, like, remake her in her own image. Yeah. Like, she thinks that she's amazing and so knowledgeable and so beautiful and just has everything figured out. And that's, like, obviously not true. Like, she's obviously just, like, kind of walking upon a very thin facade of, like, being, like, very much falling apart. Yes. But why is she not more alarmed by the creepy brother-sister-slash-lover's vibe of these these characters? That's, that's my real question. She's probably not repulsed by it. She, I mean, it's interesting. Yes, it's interesting if you're not trying to hook up with one of them, but I think if I was trying to, like, become involved with someone, but I thought they were having, like, a weird sexual vibe with, like, a sibling-ish character in their life, that would be a turn-off, wouldn't it? Yes. To me. <laughs> and to most people, right? Yeah, but they haven't made TV shows about most people or books. True. I'm saying... And like we were saying before, I mean... Saying yes makes a better story. If she said no to these people because of their weird vibe, we would never get to know what happens. Exactly. Hmm. Was there anything we haven't said about the show? We haven't seen the second season yet, so yeah. we don't talk about that. But but I mean, I'm sure there was more we haven't said. Was there anything you felt needed to be covered that we've not covered? No, I think people should watch it and. Yeah, I mean, I like we said, I mean, we enjoyed this. Yeah. I hope to, hope to see more. Hopefully. And I I think that, I mean, like we said, I believe that the second season is just going to still be drawing from the original story. Which is good in the sense that it's not like now they just have to, like, go off book and make something up. So, that hopefully. That seems like it would be a big mistake. Hopefully the second season will be just as good as the first season. I think it's, I think it has a good prospect. Yeah. But it's it's a world even beyond, I think, I don't know how the book ends, of course, but I feel like they've created a rich enough world that they could keep it going beyond the confines of the book. Oh, sure. I just mean that I think that a lot of shows suffer from, you know, if they're, or movies, if they're based upon a book and then it goes on beyond that material... Sometimes it goes in a direction that people that were fans of the original material weren't happy with. That's all I mean. But mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? But we, <laughs> we have not and have we no were plans unhappy to. With the, we were actually I unhappy mean, with the original material. So, so <laughs> it's only up from here, honestly. Yes. Like, yes. But I, don't, I was telling you that, like, I thought maybe it's not that the book was a failure. Maybe it was just a wrong format. Maybe it was just supposed to be a TV show the whole time. Yeah, and that's... I think that Some makes things... sense, too. Like, I don't think that... 
Oh, something else to be said about the book is that I believe that the book is meant to be a thinly veiled memoir of the woman. Like, I believe uh-huh. that the writer of this book... I believe this is really about her, and it's just, like, slightly changed to be, like, fictionalized. It's her name, like, or something. I, no, I don't know, but, no, I just mean, like, I know, and I, like, I remember reading that she, like, was working at the restaurant and wrote this about her time working at the restaurant and then found a publisher while working at the restaurant, you know what I mean, so. Like, I believe she met the publisher because she was working at a nice restaurant and they, like, ate there. So, you know. See, but you were saying, how do you... But I guess... Working here and... At least, at least, it, but but that's a difference, at least so far. I don't know what's going to happen to our character in the second season. But that's a difference in that one can presume that the actual writer wanted to be a writer this whole time. Like I was saying, like, you know, you wait, you're being a waiter while you're also trying to be a writer or, like, an actor or whatever. Whereas our character so far doesn't seem to have any aspirations beyond <clears throat> just that she wanted to move to New York City and get a job so she could, like, keep living there. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, not really. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover with this? No. I just think that, you know, it's a, it's it was a sneakily good show, and I'm excited to see more of it. And I think there should be more, like, Shows like that that are like quietly good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, it's the kind of show that, from the description, it might not even sound like it could necessarily be good. It's all about the production values, good casting, well done. Like, I think the script is like well written. Like, it feels like you know what I mean. It, it's not like some things. It's like the something about the dialogue makes you cringe a little bit, or you're uncomfortable. Or the and, premise is just too, yeah, too much. Like it doesn't need to be. Yeah, but this is just like what's good about it is how the story is told, a not necessarily. Honestly, but like, that's what I'm saying. What's good about it is how the story is told, not the story itself yeah, necessarily. Right, exactly. Like less high concept and more. I don't know, storytelling, details, details, details yes. storytelling, the intrigue of getting to know, just, you know, mm. details about characters and people and, like, an experience that is both unique in certain ways, but also common in other ways.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.